Wednesday, May the 12th, and we're back on another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Trey Watson, joined as always by Stephanie Steitzer-Holscher. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm a little angry that Mother Nature seems to be, like, needs a reboot to get off of a high of 61 every day. This is not, this is not warm enough for me for spring temperatures, so that's my, that's my gripe. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Buddy, buddy of mine posted a Facebook ad for more firewood to get him through summer. Right. <laughs> the voice you hear there is uh, is our guest today, our good friend, Mr. Jonathan Schill. Jonathan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, my friend. Jonathan, you obviously you can't see him. He's sitting in his truck, wait, waiting to go out and spray the <laughs> spray the fence lines in his farm. A, a real, uh, real true farmer. So, uh, if if, uh, if the wind dies down, if not, I'm hauling flowers to Lexington. So there we go. Uh, do, doing doing the Lord's work out there. Uh, we're going to run through, we've got a whole bunch of news stories to go through today. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, with Liz Cheney, uh, kind of all over the news. She made a, uh, a big, pretty impassioned speech last night, uh, on the floor about, uh, her situation and about, uh, kind of, you know, where, where the Republican caucus is with, with Trump and, uh, the, you know, the quote unquote, the big lie, uh, and, and all that jazz, uh, the vote today is going to be held today, obviously, to remove her from leadership. She's not really fighting it. She's kind of accepted the fate. And, you know, I, I, I'm kind of I got two thoughts on this, but it they, they both tied together, which is I think you can be I think it, it is it is 100 percent within reason and within logic to be where I, where I have evolved on this, which is I both believe that what she's doing is right and just. And I also believe that what the caucus is doing is, is just, and I, and I applaud her for not fighting it. You know, when you're a member of leadership, uh, you, you know, Mitch McConnell has to deal with this all the time where he, he has to, to push stuff that might not be necessarily what he hundred percent believes, but he it's, he is, he is both a, a individual Senator and the leader of the caucus. And, you know, it, it it's going to hurt the broader fight that, that Liz Cheney's having uh, against some of the factions of the party. And it's going to hurt the caucus as a whole. If she stays in leadership, it's just, it's better for everybody. If she kind of moves aside, Jonathan is, is a former member of legislative leadership, you know, talk a little bit about your experiences and, and, and kind of what it takes to, to, to make that balance, the importance of having that balance between serving the people that you serve, serving your personal beliefs and convictions, but also, you know, what you have to do is, is, is a leader of a, of, of a caucus and a legislative body. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, you, you hope that all of those things align to where that serving the people that you represent, serving your caucus and serving the state uh, as a whole or the nation as a whole, you hope all of those things can align whenever you're making decisions, but sometimes they don't. And, you know, as a member of leadership, <clears throat> you have, you have different constituencies. You have your constituency at home that you got elected with. You have your constituency in the legislature. And then as a member of leadership um, on the national or state level, you also have the constituency of the state that you represent or the country, you know, United States that you represent as a whole that you have to take into consideration. And so, you know, as a, as a member of leadership, um, you know, to your members, you have a responsibility not to be a liability. And you also have a responsibility to help further the, 
the, the caucus that you represents interest. And those interests include increasing those majorities or increasing your minority to get to a majority so that you can control the agenda. And, you know, I think that uh, Congresswoman Cheney has made a immeasurable miscalculation in how she handled the situation uh, from a leadership standpoint. I, I, I tend to disagree with her on her stance in general, uh, just as, you know, where, where she's gone with this and how she went about it and, and those things. But just from a leadership standpoint with inside of her caucus and what that's going to mean for these reelection attempts in some of these other States. And the, the, the thing that, the thing that makes me the maddest about the whole situation is, is that this, this whole idea of a Republican civil war or infighting within the party, uh, you know, it only hurts everybody involved in it. And, you know, we get into some of that stuff here in Kentucky occasionally, and it, and it always makes me mad because at the end of the day, you know, the reason that we're Republicans is because we believe in individual liberty. We believe in small government. We believe in, uh, you know, fiscal responsibility. And we believe in, um, you know, uh, conservative social policy. We believe in traditional value. You know, those kind of things. Those are the reasons. That's what's in the platform. That's what we believe. And we get we get so distracted by things that don't matter. Yep. And we end up losing elections. And so that's what makes me the maddest about this whole situation is this is nothing but another distraction. And we've got to refocus because we don't have the House and we don't have the U.S. House. We don't have the U.S. Senate. We don't have the presidency. And so if we don't refocus as a party, if we don't figure out where the electorate is to get 50 plus one, we're not going to win elections again. And so that's what that's what we've got to do as a Republican Party nationally. And, and you know, I, I always talk about it on, on the show here, uh, Jonathan, you know, elections are about the future. And this this is and this is a fight about the past. And. You know, it, it, it's 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 partially, uh, you know, it is partially Liz Cheney's fault for f- one thing that Donald Trump is very good about doing is drawing. If he if he he is very good at drawing you into into the fight that he wants to be involved in. And she and she's taken the bait and she's now fighting a fight about what did happen versus what can happen. And yeah. you know, there's there's stuff that needs to be, you know, yes, there, there, there are issues that we have inside the party with believing that the election was stolen. It, it, it just it, it wasn't. But, you know, continuing to fight this fight in the way that that she's fighting it and the and the way that the president is kind of sniping former president sniping at her. It doesn't help. Doesn't help the party. Doesn't help the caucus. Yeah, Tim I mean, Scott has this thing that he's been saying here lately where it's the grand opportunity party. And that, that, that's what we've got to get back to focusing on as a party is, is opportunity, future forward, forward facing. I agree 100 percent, Trey, on the for, on the on the future part of this. I couldn't disagree more, though, about who's fighting over the past and who's fighting over the future. I mean, I think, you know, the Lindsey Graham uh, faction of the party is trying to hold on to Trump and they want to keep fighting over the lie and the, the election was stolen And I think, you know, what Liz Cheney recognizes is this is a fight over uh, whether we're going to try to cater to um, moderate uh, appeal to moderate suburban voters who um, broke from the Republican Party in the last election, or we're going to continue to try to pander to the extremists on the far right, the MAGA types who love Trump. Um, and I think that's what this is about. And, you know, Lindsey Graham, I think, is trying to pull the party into just 
you know, I think they want, there's a faction, the, the, the Lindsey Graham faction wants this fight to continue to be about Trump and the election being stolen going forward. I don't think that those people that are pushing Liz Cheney out want to talk about the future. They want to talk about Donald Trump because he, he, he so fires up still this, this base. But there's a time, there's a time and a place for all those fights though. And and right now we're, you know, we're, we're fighting multiple legislative battles and it's distracting from that fight and dividing on that fight. And, you know, the question is, do you, do you, which, which fight, which fight do you want to have in what order? And right now the, the focus should be on the, the, the fight in Congress on, on agenda items, not, you know, we, we can deal with that. We can deal with the rest of that stuff during recesses. As, as a Democrat, it is extraordinary, right? It is extraordinary to me that your party is on the verge of kicking Dick Cheney's daughter out of leadership. I mean, like, this is mind-blowing. It is so indicative of how badly I think things have gone uh, awry for your party in terms of, I mean, if she's now, like, too liberal for the Republican Party, like, holy cow, I really hate to see where things are going over the next few years. I wouldn't go hunting with a Cheney anytime soon. I'll say that. I mean, I wish that maybe a few of these Trumpers would be lured into a hunting trip with a Cheney. <laughs> you know, whenever you talk to actual voters on the ground, to me, that's the reason that this is a distraction. And what, what they're seeing all across the country in their town hall meetings and their meetings that they're going to is that this continues to be a distraction. And when it's a distraction and they can't get to the actual policy initiatives that they need to be working on in Washington, then there's got to be something done about it. And, you know, whether or not this, this ends up going, she's already beat this once. We'll see if she beats it again uh, whenever it comes up. But, um, you know, my, my point, I think, still stands is that when we have distractions that are outside of the policies that we actually represent as a party, that's whenever it hurts our party. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's great fodder for us to discuss in a podcast. But you're right, Jonathan. Regular people don't care about it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's it, it's. But I mean, don't you think that the distraction is Lindsey Graham going on Fox every day talking it, about Donald Trump? The distractions, all of them. It's 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 all of them. Anybody who's not focused on on defeating the Biden administration agenda. Anyone is not focused on beating the, the, the worst piece of legislation to make its way at least this far through the process in Congress in my, in my lifetime following politics and the, the, the uh, offensively named for the people act, you know, any, if anybody's not focused on, on, on beating back some of these bad agenda items is they're, they're, they're the ones wasting time. I don't care if, I don't care which side of the, of the fight you're on. If you're not talking about that, then, then you're, you're, you're wasting breath. Uh, the focus has got to be on this this Biden agenda that's going through right now. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, some more stuff closer to home. Uh, the Kentucky Derby scandal continues along. Uh, Bob Baffert, you know, for, first first it was some stable hand chugged a, a bunch. Groom. Of, yeah, a groom chug, chug, chugged a bunch of. Well, first it was, I don't know what happened. There's no way the test must be wrong. And then it was a groom chugged some cough syrup and pissed on the, on the, on the oats or hay and the horse ate it and, it, and, and it got drugged. And then it was, oh, well, yeah, we might've done that because apparently it was in some, some liniment oil or something we rubbed on him. Um, you know, the, the, the funny part about the groom excuse is he actually successfully used that, I believe in California last year, uh, last year 
uh, as, as an excuse to, to get off. You know, Baffert's had, I saw a stat somebody posted on, on Twitter, so it's Twitter, who knows if it's right, but it said one in every 480 starts he's made over his entire career has, has, has been a positive drug test, which, you know, for a trainer, that's, it doesn't seem like a lot, but but it's a lot. Um, I saw Spinthrift has already uh, taken one horse out of his care. Uh, there's another uh, uh, stable, and I cannot remember the name of it. I saw on Twitter who said that they, uh, I guess they use Suge McGahee a lot uh, as, as their trainer, and they said that they have informed Pimlico and informed Suge that they're not going to compete in any races at, at Pimlico that they don't feel like are being competed on on even footing, a.k.a. if Baffert's got a horse in it, we're not running. Uh, so, you know, it, it looks like Baffert's time on, on skating by on these multiple, you know, it's one thing if you have, if you have one or two, like, all right, something, so, you know, maybe grooms could pay, could pee on the hay. I don't know. Yeah. There could be one or two, but when you when you're up in the forties for positive drug tests and you come up with these excuses every time, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> this one, this drug wasn't a performance enhancing drug though, right? It was an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. It was an anti-inflammatory. So that's that's the thing that I can't understand about the situation is like once you know what it is, like if it wasn't performance enhancing, it's like, okay, well, maybe they did rub something on it. It's still an illegal substance, but you know, let's figure out how to get past this. But I always go back to you know the old saying the the cover up's worse than the crime. Yep. I mean when he when he started going out and saying that stuff, but I I don't know anything about the horse racing drugs or any of those kind of things. I like, I like watching it and seeing those athletes perform, but it, it just seems like it's a been blown up on his own doing at this point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if he'd come out and said like, yeah, we, you know, we rubbed this thing on it. It turns out it had it in it. You know, I, I, I mean, it's a, ba- it, 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 it's on the list of banned substances. You're supposed to know, you know, what, what, what you can and can't do. And, you know, he, he should have, he should have, should have taken ownership of it earlier, yep. you know, put, putting out this bogus, this bogus groom peeing on the, on the hay excuse, I think hurt him more than anything else. Cause that just makes yeah. him look stupid. My, my guess is the punishment is going to be worse now than it would have been if they were like, ah, the vet prescribed oh. it and got bias, you know, oops. hundred percent, hundred percent. I know Stephanie, I mean, Stephanie's just done with the industry in general, <laughs> you know, Hashtag free Latifah. Like I just, there's so many things that, that people are going to have to start to come to reckon with as it relates to horse racing and the horse racing industry and the safety and the welfare of the horses. I mean, we're only scratching the surface, you know, I mean, I worked at Keeneland uh, several years ago. I worked there at a time when um, the president at the time, Nick Nicholson was really out on left field uh, with pushing the poly track and some other safety measures. And he was run out. Um, They ripped up the poly track because the betters and the handicappers didn't like it. And well, not that had to do with the breeders cup, the breeders cup flat said, we won't come to Keeneland if you got Polly. But why, why? I mean, Polly was safer. Polly was safer. It's about the money. It's about gambling. This has never been, It never will be about the horses. It's about money and gambling. And we can talk about how much we love these beautiful creatures, but this, this industry is what it is and people will continue to accept it uh, because it is about the gambling. Um, 
moving on uh there was a big cyber uh attack on gas pipeline that controls about 45 percent of all the uh the gas that goes to east coast both jet fuel and automotive fuel uh and it's causing massive shortages i don't know i don't know if either of y'all tried to fill up the last couple of days i did see pictures of a thornton's in louisville that was the posted signs that it was out of gas uh i saw a friend of mine from college actually posted on facebook that he was driving to myrtle beach and and was like desperately trying to find a gas station somewhere that had gas i saw reports of three hour lines for gas in Asheville. uh you know i don't know why kentucky's out i guess maybe some gas is being diverted over to the harder hit areas because kentucky was is not on the states that that's supplied by this line i saw the map last night it's it's like virginia uh north carolina Tennessee, South Carolina, and then kind of down Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Florida. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming it's just disruptions in the in the supply line in general's hurt Kentucky. Um, I did see Lexington, according to the Herald Leader, Lexington is the second highest uh, price spike in the country over the last week. Uh, 12, 12% increase uh, uh, over, over the last week, or, or sorry, 12 cent increase over the last week. So, uh, man, I mean, just crazy situation. You know, I think this is the probably the first of of many to come of of these hackers trying to screw with our uh, our infrastructure. Huge concern for me personally. We're supposed to leave on an RV road trip uh, a week from Friday to go all the way up north, uh, like across, like around um, the U.S. side of Lake Ontario, into the Adirondacks, south into northern Pennsylvania to see my family. I'm getting real nervous and would beg people to not do what we did with toilet paper at the beginning of pandemic and exacerbate what is probably not an actual shortage, but it will be a shortage if people go out and start hoarding gas. Yeah, that, that, that that's what I, I, I can't understand. I mean, you see the picture of the people filling up like these uh, 500 gallon uh, tanks. Yeah. Of gas, and then I saw this other one. <laughs> Whether or not this is this is actually real or not, this Just woman, the I plastic saw, bag. Yes, I don't <laughs> understand that. Yeah, the video of a woman filling up like a Kroger bag. With, with gas. <laughs> yes. Oh my I, gosh, I just, that's so dangerous. Well, I mean, the, the plastic's going to dissolve, and then it's going to get in your car. I mean, it, but I, I don't, I don't know how. This the the bigger thing is how did we as a society as a whole get away from so little common sense from people. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. understand it. Like we've, we've just like, it's almost like we're devolving into, uh, no common sense. Like, it's like we're a new species now where nobody has common sense and just don't <laughs> understand. You know, the, to I me, mean, there's people who actually look Trey, your job doesn't really depend on gasoline, right? No. I mean, the things that you do don't depend on gasoline, for instance. Mine does. I gotta have diesel to be able to plow fields. I've got to be able to have diesel to haul flowers. I've got, you know, these some people's jobs depend on these things. And whenever someone goes out and hoards it, it's like, you know, you're you're. I, I don't know. I. I mean, but then, it's, it's, then it, I mean, this is a real economic issue, and it's it's the same thing that happened with the toilet paper in the pandemic, right? Because there there wasn't a shortage. But when you start seeing people go out and buy it in mass, now if you're a farmer, like you said, and you depend on it, now you're like, I have to have gas, so maybe I should go get some gas. And so the thing just oh, snowballs. Yeah. Or um, truck drivers, think about the supply chain issues that's going to come from this with truck drivers. If they can't get oh, yeah. diesel to put in their trucks, 
you can't get other materials to be able to go to where they need to go. And we've already got a supply chain issue. I oh, mean, huge! One. It's not been talked about, I don't think, in the severity that it needs to be. But I mean, this lumber shortage or the lumber prices, resin prices, all of these industrial commercial usage products in this. We have a huge supply chain huge. issue right now. Uh, it's hitting that, my husband's businesses, my husband's in construction and real estate, and they're having to make um, crazy decisions right now. They're about to build some houses in a subdivision, and they're talking about buying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of plywood that they don't need yet, that they're going to sit outside. They don't really have a good place to store it, but because of this shortage, uh, they're anticipating they need to worry about whether they're going to be able to build these houses. And yeah. uh, so this is, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm really, I'm sweating this gas thing. I mean, we're supposed to leave in a week. We've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in non-refundable, you know, campground reservations made. Um, and I don't know what we do. You know, we're traveling with, with two kids. My in-laws are hauling their um, RV. I really don't know what we're going to do. I mean, when you're an RV, you've got to get gas. Like, you get no gas mileage, right? Like, I know Cryer River for us, first world problems, but you get, like, you know, like, seven miles to the gallon when you're going through the mountains. You've really got to stop and get gas, like, once every hour and a half to two hours. Like, that's as far as you can go. And so I'm, I am nervous. Um, I'm really nervous about this. I hope that this just really quickly dies, dies down in the next week. Yeah, I mean, it's really so at least it wasn't a pipe break. I mean, that, 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 that's the good news. It, you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not like there's infrastructure that has to be repaired. Right. So, so the, the thing that I, I guess a positive out of all this in 2021 is, you know, 2020 brought us some of the greatest memes that we've ever been able to see <laughs> on the internet. 2021, I was wondering, I was thinking, how is 2021 going to be able to keep up with the meme game? And it's figured out how to do it. I see all these posts on Facebook and Twitter where it's like a pile of lumber with a gas can yeah. on top of it. And it says, We'll trade for a Corv a 2018 Corvette. Don't lowball me. I know what I got. You know all these kind of things. He is uh, a man's wife says, "Take me somewhere as expensive. Take them to the lumber section yeah. of Lowe's." Or whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's there's there's some really good stuff that's out on the internet right now. I I, I don't know if you've if you've seen uh, the response from the pipeline hackers. Uh, <laughs> they said our goal is to make money, not creating problems for society. We did this for a client. We'll be more careful in vetting our clients in the future. <laughs> the hackers? Uh, those are yes, the hackers said so that. Socially responsible hackers. <laughs> the, like, they, they said the, the, uh, a cybersecurity group said the global backlash is hurting their business is the only reason that they're offering any sort of make culpa. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the hackers have apologized uh, because... To, they're going to uh, they would launch checks on, on fellow cyber criminals in the future to avoid consequences of the future. It added that the group is apolitical and observers do not need to tie them with any government. They're just trying to make money. <laughs> oh, all right. Hackers of the heart, man. Uh, Why not get into dodgy coin or something? Why go after the pipe supply line? I mean. <laughs> probably probably uh, uh, worse protected than than uh, the the cryptocurrency markets. Um, let's see here. Uh, next up on my list, uh, let's talk about uh, Israel for a second. Uh, the worst fighting we've seen over there in about seven or eight years. You know, every time this stuff happens, there, there's there's just there's no winner in this situation. There's only losers. You know, uh, it, it was it, this was 
uh, series of of kind of escalations on some on the smaller front on some things by Israel uh, not taking some security forces out of a holy site, um, beginning to move some people to, to clear some uh, Palestinians out to to settle some Israelis, and then as usually happens. Gaza starts firing rockets. Hamas starts firing rockets into Israel. Israel responds. Um, you know, I think it's it, this is an interesting situation though because you know the Palestinians have canceled their elections that were supposed to happen. I think earlier this year they haven't had real full elections since 2006. Israel has had what four or five elections in the last two or three years. None of them have produced anything close to majority. So both of their governments are kind of struggling. Um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see just from a from a geopolitical observer standpoint. It'll be interesting to see if if this escalation is kind of the two sides trying to play to a hardliner base to try to you know try to try, try to win internal political struggles. Because so I think there, there's 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 a lot of uh, of political uh, upheaval right now in both the Palestinian and Israeli governments, and and nobody's quite sure who's leading leading the ship and. You know, it's just, it's, to me, it's kind of an interesting backdrop to everything that's going on. Well, somebody had to have the authority to be able to launch 700 missiles in Palestine, right? Yes, yes. I mean, somebody's, somebody had to have that authority. Well, there's, there's, pe- there's people that are in charge, but I'm, I'm saying there's, you know, the, the, the elections, you know, of course, the, the parliamentary system. So it's not like, you know, it's not like our elections work where, you know, you you have an election, a party wins, and you go. You know, they have parliamentary systems. You have to you have to form coalition governments. And Israel Israel has had a real trouble the last several years forming uh, sustainable coalitions. And Palestine just keeps canceling their elections. Uh, so you know, it, it's there's there's a lot of there's a lot of I think maneuvering going on behind the scenes there. So you know, I wonder if this isn't a play from the people that are currently in charge to to the hardliners on either side in, in an attempt to to retain power. Do we know if any of those missiles got through the iron, uh, uh, the iron gate? I guess the iron dome. The iron dome. Um, it didn't look like it. Uh, maybe one or two. You know, the, the video of that thing in effect is is astounding. Watching it. Yeah. By the way, Jonathan, I mean, if, if you if you recall my favorite iron dome moment, I had to pull up the link to send somebody send somebody uh, last night. If you recall, uh, just for for those curious, the iron dome does not in fact go underground and cut off tunnels as Allison Grimes claimed in 2014 during the campaign. Duh. <laughs> she, she, she claimed that the iron dome would protect, uh, would protect from Palestinians uh, tunneling into uh, Israel. <laughs> I, wish, uh, I wish the moderates would come to the table on both sides. You know, Hamas is a bunch of assholes and, um, you know, the extremists in Israel are, and, you know, the only way forward out of this is for uh, reasonable people on both sides to want to come to the table. And right now you don't have that. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can, you know, there's a, a lot of, a lot of people on the left are mad, are mad at Israel. And, uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, Hamas, no Hamas knew firing mortars into Israel was going to get this response. So like, you can't, you, 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 you can't escalate if you don't want it escalated because you know what the response is going to be. So uh, anyway, worth, worth watching. I, I think the political side of it uh, locally there is interesting. Just the, the trouble that they've had forming governments and, and, and moving forward with, with, with elections. It'd be interesting to see how much of effect that has on, on what's, what's going on and or how much of it is a cause. Um, Jack Harlow, 
uh, Louisvillian, Jack Harlow, Louisvillian, who was uh, uh, is a rapper. He was he was the musical act on SNL the other day or a couple weeks ago. Uh, really uh, kind of career is skyrocketing up, but uh, he's he's in some hot water. Looks like you know he was supposed to to give the call for riders up. You know the Derby, they always have a celebrity come out and and call riders up for the Derby race, and he was supposed to do it on Derby Day this year at the last minute. Uh, he canceled. There was no real explanation as to why he canceled. Uh, but the rumors started coming out uh, pretty soon after the cancellation and uh, kind of confirmed today that the uh, his his DJ for his his uh, rap ensemble uh, was uh, arrested for uh, for shooting and killing a woman at a pre derby party at Vibes Restaurant and Ultra Lounge in Jefferson County. Uh, happened about one thirty in the morning the night before the derby. And uh you know, it, it just, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see, but you know, Jack Harlow is somebody who's really, really proud to be from Louisville, has really been promoting the, the city as his career uh, uh, takes, takes an upswing. It'll be interesting to see what, what effect this uh, incident has on, on his career. Uh, let's see, what else do I want to get to here? Uh, a story that amuses me, the uh, American Federation of Teachers, which is – now the union being uh, affiliate that the 120 strong is affiliated themselves with uh, is standing by their endorsement of the uh, Stephanie. Do you remember is the, is the city comptroller something like that? Scott uh, Scott Stringer. Uh, I'm trying to see, but he's he is a candidate for mayor in in New York City and was originally one of the one of the kind of front runners for mayor, and uh, he has had almost all of his support has pulled back from him after he was. Uh, accused of sexual misconduct by a former campaign volunteer. Uh, but the, the two groups that are sticking with him are the American Federation of Teachers and the United Federation of Teachers. And they just bought made a $4 million ad buy to back him. Uh, this is after, like I said, many, many other unions uh, pulled their support from this guy. Uh, but but the uh, AFT hanging on strong. So 120 strong with the, with, with the sexual predators. Good job, folks. <laughs> Jonathan, any, anything to say to that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I love my teacher friends. I'm, uh, I'm uh, not in elected office. I have no comment. <laughs> um, let's see here. There was a bar just, just kind of abused me. A bartender in Louisville uh, got uh, beat up, assaulted outside of the bar she worked while she was on a smoke break. Dude, this uh, was bad. I read yeah. this this morning. This was not amusing. Like, she was badly. Well, badly I mean, I just the, the cause of the fight is amusing. This, I mean, this, this poor, the poor bartender got the hell beat out of her outside the bar by a woman who was mad because her drink was mixed too, too, uh, uh too weak. Like, sounds like she had already had a couple of strong ones, right? Ah, yeah, that definitely sounds mm-hmm. like it's the case. I, I mean, what, what are we bad. doing, folks? I saw, I saw pictures this morning of this yeah, there's, woman's face. There's, 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 yeah, there's pictures on uh, Kentucky.com. I think the Courier Journal article has it, too. I mean, yeah. And they, they followed her outside when she went out to take a smoke break. And, and it wasn't even like it was at some, like, CD bar downtown. It was at Main Event in Louisville, which is right there off, off, of, off of 64. That's like, you know, it, it's like a Dave & Buster's type place or, or like, yeah. or, you know. Uh, it's got like and stuff in it, right? Yeah, bowling alley, arcades. I think there might be a movie theater or something in there. I yeah, mean, listen, I think we need to listen to uh, you know, restaurant workers when they say that you know, one of several reasons why the industry is struggling to find employees is because of the abuse. 
that so many of these employees are having to endure from, you know, people refusing to put on masks and follow, um, you know, COVID restrictions to just this kind of nonsense. Like people are just abusive to um, the service industry. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> folks, if you're, if your drink's a little weak, just let it slide. It's not worth going to jail and hurting somebody. <laughs> Here's an idea. Go to a different bar. Yeah. Or, 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 or order a different drink. Get I'm a sh- assuming this woman has been arrested. Yes. 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 Oh, oh, yeah. She was arrested pretty much immediately. Uh, you know, it, it, if you, if you, if you just want to get drunk, buy some shots. Good Lord. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is another one of the many reasons why I don't partake anymore. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What else we got? Uh, Stephanie, I do you want to talk a little bit about Sunrise Children's Services. Anybody following this? Um, the state and Sunrise Children's Services, which is a Baptist uh, affiliated uh, uh, adoption child placement agency are in a in a in a tiff sunrise refuses to elect or refused to to sign a contract offered to him by the state uh because there was some uh language put in there to uh stephanie did deal with deal with employees only or 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 with placement as well it's placement it's it's related to uh, no 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 there's there's an employee side in it too It, it, it also it also has employee requirements as well Yes. Uh, it has to do with, 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 with LGBT. It just bans discrimination because of sexual orientation. Um, yes. I think, well, I think it also, it also says that you cannot uh, force children who are in your care to attend religious services. Well, and no, you don't, no, no, you're confusing two things. Okay. Uh, so, so the contract dispute, uh, I believe, is directly related to. Oh, yeah. The- and- and Bashir's one sentence over sexual discrimination. Yeah, Bashir's proposed a new, a new over overarching rule. Right, and then so Debbie Yetter is out this morning with a really good article um, that talks more about um, the sweeping, um, the proposed sweeping new regulations for private agencies that accept children. Uh, who have experienced abuse or neglect that includes rules against promoting any particular re- religion and ensuring a child's sexual orientation or gender identification is respected. Um, the regulations include detailed requirements that children not be forced to pray or attend religious services, as well as protections for LGBTQ children. Um, this is subject to legislative review. God, am I dreading the day that that hearing is held because it's going to make me throw things and break things. Um, so, okay. So, so to back up for, for, for our listeners, um, I serve on um, a board here in Fayette County called the um, foster care review board. Most people are not familiar with this. Um, these, these are throughout the state. Um, they are independent citizen review boards made up of volunteers um, I've been doing this. I was recognized this um, this month uh, for five years of service, which I totally had, didn't realize. Um, so you undergo some training and we there's two types of boards. There's paper review boards where you just get into a room and you just review these foster files. Um, it is intended for this to be an independent set of eyes on these foster cases because, you know, folks uh, involved in these cases, even those who are very well intentioned, um, can sort of lose perspective, especially for some of these cases that go on for a long time. So um, we, we, what we, my panel um, 
there is called intraparty review panels. And we actually sit in a room while well, we did pre pre COVID now it's um, all on phone, but we would sit in a room. Um, the foster parents are invited um, guardian ad litems, the um, bio parents. And let me tell you, I have sat in some of these meetings have gotten insane where you put a bio uh, family in with the foster family, with the social workers. I mean, we, I have seen some fireworks. This is crazy. Um, but this is something that has actually concerned me for quite some time. And I'm really, really glad that the administration is bringing this um, to the surface and it's going to get controversial and it's going to get crazy and cultural and hot button. But basically, you know, you got to back up too. I mean, some of these um, foster kids, well, okay, here's one thing we know about foster care. We know that crazy enough, and this is hard for so many of us to, to, to believe and wrap our heads around, but, but evidence, overwhelming evidence shows that um, these children do better uh, in the long run if we can reunify them with the bio parents. And what the focus should be on in foster care is giving these bio families um, the tools and the things that they need, whether it's addiction treatment, uh, whether it's parenting classes, therapy, trauma therapy, we need to, to focus as much as we can on giving these families the tools so we can reunite these families. They do better when they stay in those homes. It's not always possible. Um, it, it will not always ever be possible, but we've kind of created a culture across the country of like this concept of foster to adopt. And that can be a really positive and beautiful thing. Um, but right now in Kentucky, we've got a lot of agencies, um, uh, private agencies. There's two ways to, to get into um, foster age, foster care in Kentucky. The state, uh, you can become a foster parent and a lot of foster kids, they go straight through the state agency pipeline with no interaction with any of these private agencies. According to Yetter's reporting, about 5,000 out of 9,000 go straight through the state. Um, the other 4,000 kids go through, um, go into foster homes through private foster agencies that the state has contracts with. And many of those, some of those um, agencies are um, faith-based or faith-affiliated, including Sunrise, which is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And the state has been in a long-running fight um, with Sunrise over some of their practices related to LGBTQ. But I will tell you that it has long been a concern of mine that um, you take foster youth who are coming out of homes that they've seen trauma, they've experienced trauma. It takes a lot to take a kid. So if they've been placed in a foster home, there's a lot of trauma there. And um, I, I've long had concerns that some of these families, they're very well-intentioned. Um, some of these agencies, very well-intentioned. But um, we have heard uh, from former foster youth who have shared experiences where they were forced to attend um, church. They were forced to participate in church activities, youth activities, choir activities. It wasn't their religion um, and they were forced to do it. Um, there has been, I have had concerns over the sexual and gender identity issues, um, you know, 
a lot of these um, families, they don't, they get, and I get it. And, and the problem I have with this situation with, with um, Sunrise is they're trying to argue that this is a, a religious liberty issue. Sure, fine. Nobody's forcing um, the agency to take a contract with the state uh, and to take the care. These kids are legally in um, the, the, the responsibility, the custody of the state. And we have to also protect the religious liberty and the freedoms of those kids. And, um, you know, so I've seen, I've seen it. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've sat in rooms where, um, we've heard of these children who are dealing with gender issues. Um, you know, Stephanie, if I, if I could step in and just give, mm-hmm. I'm going to let Jonathan, uh, have a chance to talk just cause he's, he's, he's only one of the three of us who's an adoptive parent. Uh, you know, so you've kind of been through the process. Uh, you've, you've also been in the legislature and worked with a lot of these groups, heard, heard, uh, you've heard horror stories. You've heard good stories. Kind of, you know, what, what are, what are your thoughts on where kind of where the situation is? And, and also an understanding the state, you know, the state has responsibility and there, there is a, there is a Supreme court case that is due. I think they're expecting a decision. I don't know if it's a decision or a hearing they're expecting to come in June that basically makes whatever decision is being rendered now moot. It's either going to legalize it or, or make it, make it, uh, you know, what, what Bashir wants that that'll probably come down later this summer. So no one were the backdrop of this and all of it could be could It could, it could all be a non-factor come, come August, but kind of what, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on where, where this has evolved to Jonathan? Yeah, my oldest and my youngest child are both adoptive. Um, I have four children all together. And I can tell you the situations that both of those children came out of, they should have never been put back with their parents. And um, my experience in all of the foster care parents that I have ever dealt with, we have in our church, which is a Southern Baptist church, um, I would say that we have close to 20 to 25 adoptive children in our church and three foster families who participate. We homeschool our kids. Now we have a homeschool co-op and learning center that we perform at our church, which is made up predominantly of um, adoptive and foster care children. And I I, I have the completely opposite opinion on reunification that whenever you have a state that forces through to try and make reunification the end goal without the other factors involved and what that child has had to do with my child, my oldest son, whenever I got him, he was given to us on a doorstep, uh, had a pair of pajamas and a pack of diapers. And he was 15 months old. Child couldn't speak. He could only grunt and he spit, chewed or uh, spit. He, he could bite. And he was left in his, uh, swaying for hours at a time in his own feces and diapers for days of the same ones. Um, my oldest son was able to fend for himself by being able to get into the cabinets that he was able to open and then forcefully open food uh, with his teeth to gnaw through to be able to get the nutrients that he needed. And so <clears throat> 100% agree that we should be trying to find these families, the help that they need to be able to get their parents sober, to get them um, off the drugs that they're on, to be able to give them parenting classes and those things. But with someone like my oldest son, I have a deep held hearted belief that they lost their privilege as a parent whenever they made a child go through the situation that he went through. And the idea that parents 
or that, that, that someone like myself who had this child for three years before we were able to get an adoption um, would somehow magically have a state bureaucrat tell me that he had to go back after three years of us having him in our family without being able to receive an adoption to me is unconscionable and unthinkable that that would have to go through. And I've had it happen. We had another child that was in our possession for about six months who the child ended up going back and now they're in Illinois and God knows what's happening to that child now. On the, on the premise behind forcing these children to have some kind of community built into them through a church of attending, of going to church. I can tell you, we never went through the foster care system. All the children that we've adopted have been given to us out of nowhere. We're not in on the list. We're not in the foster care system. But, but I can tell you that if we were in the foster care system and we had a child in our possession through that, they would be going to church with us because our church family is loving. They're accepting. They, they don't care your sexual orientation. Um, you know, they, they, they view you as a person. They love you who they are. Um, do they agree with some of the decisions that you make? Probably not. I don't. And the idea that the state would put in a regulation that would knowingly Knowingly, in my opinion, the state would put in a regulation and a contract that would knowingly discriminate against a, a, a foster or a, a, an adoptive and foster care organization like Sunrise, which has done so many great things across the state with nine, almost 9,000 children being in the foster care system. And we're going to limit the agencies who are good actors, the longest serving agency in the state, if, I, if I'm correct, of being able to put placement out there with so many children that we're going to put in something that knowingly is going to discriminate against their highly held religious beliefs, I think is wrong. And I hope that the Supreme court upholds the decision to be able to make that happen. And I support them being able to get those contracts. And we, we have got to start focusing on the well-being of these children beyond social and political stances that people may take. And, you know, it may be uncomfortable in some of these situations, but at the end of the day, We've got to start focusing on what's best for these children. And I can tell you through my experience of the adoptions that I have had through the children that I've been around with other foster care systems. I mean, there, there's some things that, that have to be fixed beyond these political stances that people are taking. And, you know, you, you take a family who's got to have training to where they're taking care of kids who are in end of term life cancer that are in the foster care system and they've got to drive to Louisville or Lexington to take a training. Why not make that online? There's a lot of stuff that are like that, that we need to be focused on trying to fix in this system rather than making political stances. And I don't, I, I don't think it's a political stance to suggest that there's, there's many things that need to be taken in consideration. And I, I do want to be clear on one thing for listeners. There is a very clear process in the state um, and it is a very difficult process to terminate parental rights as it should be. Um, I often sign off on recommendations that parental rights be terminated because you're absolutely a thousand percent right. In many instances, it's not repairable. There's no tools that can be given. Um, it is usually glaringly obvious in those situations um, parents to explain for listeners what happens is, is when your kids are taken away and put into the foster system parents uh, bio parents are given um, plans case plans that they have to work and that can include a wide array of things from 
um, substance abuse treatment. I mean, it can be so many things, it's securing employment, parenting classes, and it can be a very long uh, process. And, and many times it's just very clear that parents, they're not going to work the case plan. They have no interest. Um, and so, yeah, there are so many circumstances under which um, termination and adoption are appropriate and best for the kids. What I'm saying is, is we've, we've created a culture where we've created this, um, you know, foster to adopt pipeline and, um, I, I look, I struggled, uh, my fa- my husband and I, we struggled with in a fertility issues and adoption was something that was on the table. And I had a totally different outlook about it than I, than I do now, um, in terms of, of that. And I know it can be so painful for, I've, I've, I've seen, I've sat in the room with parents. I can't imagine what that pain is like to be a foster uh, parent, to have those babies with you from almost day one and then have them taken away. Um, that has got to be absolutely gut wrenching. And I can't, I can't even speak for that. Uh, what I will say, though, is when it comes to like the political, I don't, I don't see these issues as being political when it comes to the religious freedom um, and the freedom, uh, you know, of these kids. I and mean, there's cultural identity issues, too. You know, I heard from a former foster youth a couple of weeks ago in a training I underwent who talked about, you know, she was in a home. She was a black um, girl. She was in a home where they forced her to wash her hair every day, which is something that black uh, people generally don't do. Um, I don't really want to get into this, but there were some hygiene um, related things that were very culturally different. Uh, Another issue I'm concerned about going forward is we've got a lot more immigrant families in this state. We've got a lot of, um, I'd I'd say probably about half of the family, the cases that I see now are immigrant children. Um, And, you know, I I want, it's not political. I want to see more training. I I want these faith-based agencies to embrace this too, Uh, you know. As you said, yes, training that they have to undergo for things like, you know, dealing with end of care and special needs for kids. But I want to see these agencies willingly stepping up and saying that we can do better because, you know, when you place um, culturally diverse children in different homes and what they are culturally or ethnically affiliated. It can be a very beautiful thing, but it can also cause um, continued pain and trauma for them going forward. You know, if you, you rip a Latino uh, kid away from, you know, a culture that they've known their entire lives and put them in a, you know, a white house. um, I, I hope that that families want to see, and I think many of them do. I, I see it. Many of them do. I mean, I, we talked to a foster family last week that, you know, they, they worked really hard. They brought in interpreters. They themselves were trying to learn Spanish so they could communicate with their kids. So please don't think that I'm painting all foster agencies or foster parents is bad. Please don't think that I'm saying that every foster kid should definitely be reunited because it is a thousand percent not possible in a lot of these cases. Um, But I am very glad that we're going to start having this um, conversation in Kentucky about some of the, uh, about some of these issues, because it's important. It's important to those foster kids. You know, let me, me, I'm going to say one thing and and (laughs) we've got a corner, two more issues to get to, you know, I, it seems to me, though, I, that it's it's short sighted on the Bashir administration's part that 
we do we have a lack of service providers we you know we there's there's not that many groups out there that are clamoring to provide this service because it it's it's it goes it's it's not profitable and it's and it's emotional it's you know you're it's going to take a physical drain a, res, a resource drain and a mental drain to do it and it seems to me like they're making decisions without any understanding or plan as to how to continue along in in the in these in these serve in the service supply chain you know what who's who's going to help these kids are you are you going to put them with the state now the state run it because the state has shown themselves woefully inept at, at, at providing this well, sort a big of service answer so. to your question is the kin care you know and despite years of legal battles over over the payments that go to these kin cares when families uh but that, but that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna handle nine thousand kids i mean it's just but the problem is the problem is is you've got family that could willingly take some of these children in totally negating the need for you know stranger foster placement but they are often not i mean there's so much confusion the system is a mess it was supposed to have been straightened out but there is uh generally speaking these families are paid far less uh, to help, you know, compensate for the care of these kids and they can't afford to do it. So you've got grandparents that would probably be the best placement, but they can't afford to, and the state doesn't want to pay them the same amount that they pay, um, foster parents. So that is one solution to to what you're um, saying, Trey. Maybe at the same time, you can't just come in and pick a fight that you know is going to you know, that in the in the immediate term, what what the hell's what the hell's the Sherry administration's plan in the immediate? I, I just want to say this in closing. I just want to pose this question in closing for your listeners, because I know I'm going to get really attacked for all of this. Um, and I stand by it. And I've seen these cases. Um, I wonder what the feeling would be if there was a Muslim uh, affiliated uh, foster agency that wanted to open up in Kentucky. I, I, I think we would be having a completely different conversation right now. There would be so much outrage uh, if 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 we were talking about uh, forcing foster kids to go to mosques and to practice uh, the religion of Muslim or any other sort of non-Christian affiliated uh organization and so i think we need to think about this and not just the religious freedom of the foster families but the religious freedom of these kids and many of these kids who end up are, are teenagers i mean I, i'll say one last thing and, I, and then i'll let jonathan ha- have have a final word before we move on you know i do i do think that there is a valid point to if you're going to take a state contract you know you're 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 gonna have extra extra things put upon you, you know, I, that my, the libertarian side of me does, does completely understand that. But at the same time, yeah, how, how do you, how do you, how do you bounce that with the fact that the good groups out there who are wanting and willing to provide this service tend to be more religious affiliated because they, they do have usually have access to funds that are, that are outside of just what the state's paying them that, that are, that are willing to put that into a mission of, of this sort that, you know, that's, that's not, it's not going to recoup the costs. Yeah. So it, it's, Again, it, 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 to me, it's a balance of it's a balance of everything that you need to do constitutionally, everything that you need to do for the kids and everything that you, just, that you need to do functionally to get it done. You know, it, it, it makes severing this relationship with Sunrise to me a very hard pill to swallow. Uh, Jonathan, you've got any, any last words before we move, we move along? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, there's bad actors in everything that we do. I mean, 
there, there just is. I mean, in, in everything that we participate in, there's going to be somebody gaming the system. There's going to be somebody doing it the wrong way. And we have to try and fix that as best that we can through, uh, you know, what we're given as tools to be able to do so. But at the end of the day, when I was in the legislature, uh, David Mead, myself, um, Robert Benvenuti, Chris McDaniel, Whitney Westerfield, we all worked towards trying, in my opinion, the way that I described it, to take the butts out of adoption and foster care, that I would adopt but. I would foster care but. And I still believe that that is the absolute best way to be able to get these 9,000 kids into a placement of some kind to where that they are loved, they are cherished, and to where that they can be put into a situation to succeed. And I take my situation. I have a Hispanic son. is my oldest. And I take that situation as one where I took a child into my possession. I love him. He is my own. He is an heir to my name. It is, it is just like uh, being an adoptive son of God. He is an heir to my name. Everything that I have is his. And I have, I have been able to take him through the love and, and cherishment that I have for him out of a situation where that he may have died. I mean, his, his life may have been taken. He may have, he, he may have never have been anything in his life because of the situation that he's in to where that now the entire world is at his fingertips. We're in a situation like that where they can have the opportunities that everybody else has, the better off that we're going to be. And the nuances that we have to take to get there are just that nuances. Let's just focus on as a whole, trying to get these kids in loving homes. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, so I that's Rob. I'm gonna say one one final thing, which is, you know, I, we we have debates over stupid stuff all the time in the legislature, and that's easy to do when times are good, you yeah. know. But it's it's harder to do when 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 you don't have all the problems fixed. And you know, once 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 we got every kid in a home with a family that loves them, you know, then yeah, let's let's have some broader discussions about some of the some of the technicalities and some of the some of the some of the other other issues involved, but. Let's, let's get the let's get, get every kid taken care of first, and then we can have that discussion. Um, all right, last thing I want to talk about. Uh, I got two kind of two kind of related rants that I want uh, I want to go on. Just things that have been pissed me off. And I was texting Stephanie yesterday. I finally figured. You know, Jonathan knows very well. I like to to use uh, alliteration and analogies and 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 uh, uh, imagery when I when I when I storytell and message at times and. You know, Let's try to keep this less profane, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, slightly. Uh, <laughs> but I've been trying to come up with 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 a good analogy for uh, this this stupid seventy five percent vaccination target that Bashir has set to, to reopen the whole state. You know, I, the report came out today based on uh, based on current we're at our lowest lowest vaccination rate since we started vaccinating. Based on the current rate, it's going to be late August before we hit seventy five percent. And I was texting Stephanie. I said, I finally I finally found a good analogy. Which is, all right, what if we said driver's licenses? Once 75% of the entire population of the state of Kentucky has passed their driver's test, then everyone in the state can drive. It's, it's stupid on both ends. It's stupid on the people who are saying, no, we should, you know, it's stupid on, on, on the government part and, and on, the, on the opposition part. All right, so, you know, you, that's 75%. That also means that people who had their license taken for multiple DUIs or people who are 12 years old or people who are 95 and shouldn't be driving, they'll all be able to drive because 75% got vaccinated. That's, you know, we, we need people to get vaccinated. You need to be a good citizen. That's, that's not, 
you like the, the 25% who are being pricks and won't wear a mask and won't vaccinate. Like why, why are they benefiting over the, over the good behavior of others? But also at the same time, the 75% is so stupid. It's stupid. There's no science. There's no it's like, arbitrary. There's it's no arbitrary. Data. It's no data to support this. Like, you know, it is there, it, like Seth is saying when we're texting, there's always going to be risk involved saying in anything, anything in life, saying 75% pe- people got vaccinated, all the risk is gone. It's like saying 75% of people p- passed the driving test. So it's safe for everybody to drive now. No, there's always, every time you get behind the wheel of a car, you may die. There's always a risk. And there's always going to be a risk when you go out in public. I don't care if it's coronavirus or the flu or, or measles or, you know, <laughs> Uh, flesh-eating bacteria or that brain amoeba that you get when you when you snort pond water there's a chance every time you step outside your house there's a chance every time you step outside your house that you may die from something so this stupid 75 percent vaccination target is so dumb it's such a it's such a a stupid ploy because andy Bashir won't lead he won't make a decision you just he has no balls have some I mean, balls, look, Governor. Get, make a damn decision. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get attacked by my party. I'm gonna get attacked on all sides today. It'll be great. Uh, you know, I think he's just clinging to it uh, because he's got to have something. But I think if you look at at, at the moves he's made in the last um, week, uh, I think if I'm Ryan Quarles, your all's buddy, I'm feeling pretty good because it feels a lot to me like the press uh, is building. Ryan won this round and Bashir did capitulate to just about everything, but I feel like the 75% thing is sort of like, like clinging to like, I gotta have, I gotta hold on to something here. Um, all that being said, I will say I'm super jazzed to see, and, and I'm, I'm jazzed. I hope that some reporters like follow up on this. I'm really excited to see it. You know, I was pushing a week ago and two weeks ago, for uh, the Bashir administration to get creative about trying to get people to get vaccinated. Him going out there at a press conference every day and telling people, go get your vaccine. We know it doesn't work. We know from research on public health communications, the scoldy luxury thing, it does not work. And uh, I've, I've been saying for a while, get creative, you know. You get some lottery tickets. So, yes. Yeah, so the thing is, we, we should talk about this. So the new thing is, is if you show your vaccine, uh, you can what get like a free lottery ticket. Yeah. Is, um, it, is it for like a pick three or something? It's, it's for something with like a $200,000 jackpot. $200,000 uh, win. I mean, look, I get it. You know, my family loves them some lottery tickets. Uh, I just want so, some scratchers. If I get yeah. my back scar. Can I get, get oh, some scratchers? Yeah. I mean, my my entire childhood, my grandparents lived um, next door to a convenience store and like there wasn't a Easter basket or Christmas stocking that didn't have scratchers in it for me as a child, which is kind of comical when I think about it. But uh, so I'm excited to see them starting to think outside of the box to try to like get people to vaccinate. Um, But yeah, I would say chalk this up as a is a win for for ryan but i would also caution if i'm ryan um you know you better find a new issue to start talking about because in a couple of weeks when when these restrictions are eased and things are are kind of back to normal like like people are ready to move on i don't people don't want to talk about this anymore i mean 
increasingly, you know, when I'm hanging out with friends, like nobody even wants to talk about COVID or any of this. Everybody's just like ready to move on. So I think, uh, you know, score one for him, but he better be ready because when you win now, what are you going to talk about? Shell, you've been driving around a bunch, a bunch around the state. What, what, what are you seeing here and out there? I mean, does everybody else think this 75% target thing is laughable as I do? Look, I, I, I think it's laughable. I, I, but this is an unpopular opinion on here. I, I think the incentives are ridiculous. I mean, I, I think it's an individual's choice whether or not to get this vaccine. And, you know, people are going to make that decision. I don't think any lottery ticket or anything else that the governor is going to try and put in front of them or any lecture that he's going to give is making them going to do it because it ain't going to make me get it. If I want to get it, I'm going to get it. If I don't, then I'm not. And I, I'm not going to get a lottery ticket. Are you thinking about getting a lottery ticket to get the vaccine? I just, I, I think that we have lost our minds over this in general. And, it just, it, it has gotten to a point to where nobody's taking it serious anymore. I mean, it, the, the, the information that's coming out, the science behind it, all these things that we're starting to see, it, it was, it was, it was so directed in the beginning and it was so inconsistent in the policies that were being put out <laughs> that people like myself now have gotten cynical about it. And, and it was just handled completely the wrong way from all fronts. And, you know, now, because I mean, if, if somebody could show me and tell me the things that need to happen and, and do, I'll do it. I did it. You know, I didn't go around older people that were at risk. I put on a mask. I washed my hand. I did all the things that you're supposed to do whenever we didn't know what was going on with this virus. And, you know, it just it's gotten to a point of ridiculousness on all levels. And I'm just kind of done with it over it. I think everybody else that I'm around is done with it and over it. I mean, the fact that the CDC said not what two weeks ago that you can go outside without a mask on. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. Uh, by the way, I, New, New, York, New York Times had a report yesterday that there is not a single instance, traceable instance of anyone getting the virus through incidental contact outside. Not a single one. That, if I had a mask on right now and I took a hit of a vape cigarette and I blew through it, vape is coming out of that mask. Yeah. And yet the, the virus is smaller than those vape particles. I mean, it, it, it is just, it, to me, it's gotten to a, a symbol. It is. Well, it's, and, it's not and, and I have a, I, I've got a guy who told me the other day of a situation, he was in his store and he's got the plexiglass up and somebody came in and they had gloves on. They had a face shield and a mask <clears> and the guy came in and he, and he looked at him and he said, man, the virus ain't getting you, you know, just to joke with him a little bit to lighten it up. And the guy looked at him as serious as he could dead faced and said, I don't do this for me. I do this for you. That's what we've gotten to. And that's what is ridiculous about this whole situation. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Though, why is that a horrible thing? Like, maybe you don't believe the science and maybe the science isn't there. But, like, this is a guy who's trying to show compassion to Yeah, he, no, the guy, the guy the, at, at that point, you're virtue signaling. Like, gloves, it's, it's virtue it's, signaling. It's, it's, it's proven you can't get it through through touching. Like, why is he wearing gloves? It, it's, 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 become, it's become ridiculous. It, there, there are so few people in the middle on this thing. Either, either people are like, "I'm gonna run naked through the streets, screw the mask, I'm taking everything off," or yeah. it's like, or it's like, "Why are you reopening? Nobody should be allowed to go anywhere. We're all gonna like." There's like, it, it, it's. I just want common sense. I yeah. just want common sense. To now, well, That's all now, I want. now let, let me let let me get to the next part. You mentioned the CDC. I, you know, and and this this will probably be an, uh, an unpopular opinion with my conservative friends. I feel very bad for Dr. Fauci and the CDC. 
You they, have they, totally they, lost they, your Republican they have, card today. They, ha- they have been abused, abused by both the Trump administration and they're, I think they're being abused even worse now by the Biden administration. Because I'll, I'll go back to Andy Bashir. May be a goddamn leader and make a decision. The job of Dr. Fauci and the CDC, they are public health experts. Their job is to make the recommendations that will result in zero infections and in zero deaths. That, that, that's their job is to eradicate the disease. That ain't happening. But that's where the job of elected officials come in. And we've talked about this a hundred times the podcast over the last year and a half. That is where the job of elected officials comes in to weigh the, the information given to them by the public health experts, along with the information being given to them by sociologists, psychologists, business experts, you know, everybody else who, who would weigh in on the situation. And then your job as an elected leader is to make a reasonable decision that comes down somewhere in the middle based on where we are as a country or where, where whatever your constituency is, where they are, and make a decision. Dr. Anthony Fauci is not a policymaker. And the poor guy gets trotted out there and put on freaking TV by both the Trump administration, even more now by Biden, gets trotted out there and his professional reputation has been ruined by the Trump administration and by the Biden administration parading him around as something he is not. He is not a policymaker. He is a public health expert. His job is to tell people how to have no transmission. It's the job of the Biden administration and before that, the Trump administration to make a decision and to make recommendations based on public health information and all this other nebulous stuff and make some sort of cohesive effort. Joe Biden has abdicated his duty. And if he's not willing to stand up and be a goddamn leader and make a, make a decision and stop sloughing it off to Fauci and the CDC, if he's not willing to stand and make a decision, he needs to get the hell out of the way and let somebody else do the job. So that's my rant on that one. Anybody got thoughts or are you just going li- to leave it laying? <laughs> I, uh, I, I, think that that may have been where it started, but I think a couple of months ago, maybe six or so, that it turned in. Hey, Jonathan, your your connection's kind of crackling out there. We may have lost Jonathan Chill. Stephanie, any any thoughts while we wait for Jonathan to... Well, you know, this whole... I'm concerned about this whole, you know, the Rand Paul... Fauci argument yesterday. And, oh, that's, you know, that's 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 that was a show. I mean, yeah, but I'm I'm concerned about this this continued narrative that's that's building that you know NIH is funding all of this like dangerous super virus research and um, you know I mean I it's it pisses me off when these uh, well, you Ste- know well, Stephanie I hate to break it to you but you know. I'm read. I'm looking right now on the Daily Beast, and apparently, uh, the American Wood Council is uh, is actually hoarding wood, and it's all a lie. There's plenty of wood out there. It's stashed. There's 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 video of it on trucks. It's just it's just being held. What? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link, Jonathan. You were saying you kind of crack you kind of crackled up there. Yeah, sorry. I was saying that Fauci may have started where you're talking about, but I think. Uh, some time ago, he decided that he was worried more about how much he's going to make off of his book deal when this is over. And he lost, he's lost a lot of credibility through this process. And it's based around the consistencies that I was talking about, in my opinion. They, they, they need to quit. They need to quit trotting him out there. He he's, he's not doing anybody any good. He's not doing himself good. He's not doing I the think administration he's going good. out there on his own. 
I think I he's some, going out there on his own a lot. I, I, somebody's somebody's booking him. I mean, I, I know how this stuff works. He, they're they're not just you know CNN's not just like texting Fauci like, hey bro, want to come on? Like he he's get he's getting booked through through an agency uh in the federal government somewhere. They're they're sending him out there, and yeah. and, and it's just and again I I feel bad for the guy. I think his his professional and, and personal reputation has been has been ruined by these two administrations being unwilling to make a decision and sending a guy out there to act like a policymaker. And he's not a policymaker. He's giving his, his, his professional opinion on something and that's fine. But his professional opinion doesn't, doesn't count for a damn hill of beans because it's, that's that his not, his job is to not make that decision. It's not to make that decision. Anyway. By the way, uh, to update for our listeners, um, Liz Cheney yeah, in she, fact, has vo- been ousted from leadership. Yeah. By, by a voice vote. Yeah. Uh, you know, now hopefully we can get back to talking about, you know, gas crises and uh, border crises and economic stagflation and uh, all the other all the other problems we got. Specifically uh, the gas crisis from here to Ontario to uh, Pennsylvania. The Adirondacks. Is, yeah. no, Adirondacks <laughs> to Pennsylvania. That is the specific gas crisis we need to make sure. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Shell, any other thoughts? Uh, how's 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 it been driving around? The, I know, like I said, you've been you've been doing a bunch of traveling around the state. Uh, kind of how's I you know I haven't left Lexington much. How's, how how do things look out there? That looks great. I mean, we've got a beautiful state, beautiful people. I mean, we've got a very active and caring state. And you know, I've been speaking to a lot of local chamber of commerce as of late, and the unemployment insurance and unemployment workforce issue is is top of mind for every main street business in the state of Kentucky that we've got to get fixed. Uh, we can't keep incentivizing people to stay at home. And, and I mean, these restaurants can't open their doors right now. A lot of them are shutting down. They can't open up their lobbies anymore. Um, you know, you go beyond that now. And I mean, competitive wages are uh, very high because they can't get people to come to work. And so it's, it's just, uh, it, it, it is an issue and it's going to continue to be an issue and it's going to cause a very stagnant recovery if we're not careful. And I think we've already kind of hit that point outside of that. I mean, we've got one of the best States in the entire country and it is hands down one of the most beautiful as you travel across through here. If you've never seen Eastern Kentucky in the fall, you just get ready to go. Uh, if you've uh, never visited Paducah and gone to, uh, you know, the riverfront and Owensboro the same way, if you've never drove through in a, in a, in a late summer uh, drive through Western Kentucky to see the corn and soybean fields, you're missing out. Uh, get off the interstate, get on some roads, and uh, actually see what the state looks like. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful, and, and uh, you know, we've got such a welcoming state. People, no matter where you go, are just so kind. But, uh, I mean, my travels have been great. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've been able to get on the farm a lot more this year to be able to work. Um, as opposed to last year during the pandemic when all this stuff was going on in my consulting role. Uh, kind of kept me from that. But this year, you know, I've been on the farm a lot. People have been out. They've got money, you know, in their pocket right now to be able to spend on flowers and, and different things. And so, uh, you know, life's good. Where do right I now. get these flowers in Lexington? Well, actually, uh, we sell to uh, King's Gardens and we also sell to Louis Flower Power and some to Sunshine Grove Center. And so any of those three are ones that we sell to pretty uh, direct and often. Um, you can make your choice on which yeah, of the we three. Yeah, we got where do you go? I've been to Sunshine. Yeah, Convenient. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, Jonathan, you, you mentioned the Purdue, Purdue Waterfront. I once jumped jumped off the tire of King Crunch into the Ohio River uh, down at the boat at the at the uh, boat dock at the uh, at the riverfront there in Paducah. 
Nice. Yes, to, to wash those monster trucks sometimes. They've got like a, a generator-driven power washer. And yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll literally just drive the monster truck like down a boat ramp in, into a river and just suck the river water out and use that to like blast the mud and stuff off the, uh, off the side of the monster trucks. So yeah, I, 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 I rode King Crunch into the water and jumped off the tire into the, into the river. <laughs> yeah, that is neat. I got a new venture I'm working on. I'm going to grow pumpkins this year, Trey. Are you going to compete with Corals and, and his, uh, where he, 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 he stole the seeds from the state prize winning pumpkins and grows them in his backyard now? Look, if I did, I would beat him, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, I don't have any giant pumpkin seeds maybe next year, but, uh, but if he wants to go, I mean, we'll go next year. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'd hate to make him lose, but I mean, I would. <laughs> the gaunt, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Yeah. <laughs> is the, uh, is the frigid spring good for crops? You know, it's not really hurting anything. I mean, as long as there's not frost on and it doesn't get too bad, it's fine. And, and most of the most of the crops that were planted, like soybeans and corn, were planted before they had much leaf stage during that really cold snap. But, I mean, it's it definitely isn't like having a 80-degree day. But, I mean, it's not hurting it too bad. I mean, we've had enough rain and stuff. Whenever the temperatures actually come up, it's really going to start shooting these crops up pretty heavy. I know my my stuff. The, just my little garden in the backyard is doing great. My broccoli's big. Lettuce, peas, strawberries are already coming in a little bit. Yeah. All right, Jonathan Shell. We'll let you get back out in the farm. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. And, good talking to you all. Thank you for having. Me. Yeah, man. And uh, as always, you can get Kentucky Politics Weekly wherever you stream podcasts. If you get us on Apple Podcasts, give us a review. And wherever you get us, please be sure to give us a follow so you can get alerted when we post a new show. And we'll be back with you next uh, Wednesday on another Kentucky Politics Weekly.